Mr. Earnshaw brings home an orphaned boy to raise with his two children, Hindley and Catherine. Hindley despises him, and Catherine comes to adore him. The young boy and Catherine grow to fall in love, but instead of marriage to her childhood friend, Catherine chooses another. Feeling rejected, he vows to get even with everyone involved. The orphan boy now man, Heathcliff. You done gave the book, the book away. Weathering Heights. And you're listening to Lit Society. Let's get lit! Hi readers, this is Alexis. And this is Kari. And you're listening to Lit Society, a podcast about books and drama. Why do you always do that? Where are you from? Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Stop it. I am in my work voice, and that can be anything I want it to be at the very moment. I'm going to let you shine. Go ahead. Be great. (laughs) Please let me be great. Kari, how was your week? (laughs) How was your week? Well, Alexis, I'll tell you what I was doing this week. I was preparing for our introduction into book two. That's right. The aunties have arrived. Yes. If y'all done with fantasy novels, if y'all if y'all want to talk about grown stuff and books, please. Uh Oh, grown (laughs) stuff. Well, not really, but you know. Oh, this is branding. (laughs) So visit Lit Society Pod on YouTube. Hi guys, welcome to our YouTube channel. Click and subscribe below. Yes, have a YouTube channel. Somehow I feel like we were supposed to be going forward in life and we're not, but it's cool. We're 15 again and it's fun. (laughs) Hey, isn't that a movie? Uh I'll be it. Okay, let's move on. So yeah, that was about it. What about you? Have you um have you been to our YouTube channel, Alexis? I know you're on it. I know you're starring hmm. in a few videos. I, you know, <laughs> I did see the YouTube channel. I did, I did, and I was listening to the podcast on there. Well, you guys, Every if you again. <laughs> well, good. Thank you. Well, readers, friends, if you're listening, which you obviously are, please join us at 1 p.m. Central Time on YouTube. That's Lit Society Pod on YouTube because we are going to premiere our first video in the booktube realm and we'll be chatting with you guys live during the premiere. Now this ain't no movie so it ain't no two hour video it's at 1pm. We know you got jobs you can take a lunch you can go to the bathroom and chat with us for nine minutes (laughs) J-O-B's it okay that's right you just (coughs) I gotta step out for a second and then you going to step out, get on YouTube, look for, look for Lit Society Podcast and chat with us at 1 p.m. Central today. Today. Find us. Yeah, yeah. Doing, during our uh, video premiere. So that's that. The plug has plugged. Um, and that's all I've been doing. What you been up to, girl? Girl, minding my business and stuff. <laughs> that's Nothing a full time job. as usual. <laughs> well, you do it well. Working a job. <laughs> you got a master's in minding your business. <laughs> And I love it. I've learned so much from Look, you. I'm looking for a PhD. <laughs> okay. Anyway, let's get pumping into this episode. Let's do okay. It. Let's start off with Society Says. 
because oh. you know that's where we share your comments with the rest of our lit society. Yes. Kari, yes. what comments do you have for us tonight? Well, I am going to my favorite place on earth. You know where that is, don't you? Can you guess? Uh, Apple Podcast. <laughs> That's right, Apple Podcast, oh, where wow. we currently have I'm one so surprise. <laughs> Shocking. Where we currently have one hundred and one reviews, five oh, stars. I and you know it. what, readers? Readers, come in closer. You guys have given us one hundred five star reviews, but there is one four star review, and Ooh. I'm okay with that. I know Alexis is okay with that. Because that's for my friend who doesn't know how to change it to five stars. So really, it's a hundred and one five star reviews. And you asked me if I had a lit comment. I do. So this week's comment comes from Joy O-U-T-E-S. What is that? Joyo Utez? Sure. Hoyo Utez. And they say, <laughs> I'm cultured. They say, I love this podcast. Oh, it is so fun. It. To sit and listen to these joyful women. We are joyful. Oh, I love that compliment. That's, <laughs> yeah. I like that. They say, they say, I feel like I am sitting and having a heart to heart about the books we've read. On a side note, this podcast saved my butt when I had to host book club. Haven't forgotten the details of where the crawdads sing. I listened hey. to their podcast episode and brushed up on the book I read a year earlier. Phew. Thanks, ladies. Hey. No, thank you. And I know I'm I'm saying it right. Mm -hmm. We're glad we can contribute to that. Okay, we are. Yes, we are the new spark notes. So thank you for Mm -hmm. listening. What about you, Alexis? Is there a comment you found to be particularly lit? Uh, Yeah. Oh, do share. Always. Okay, so look, I, I took it all the way back. (laughs) <laughs> this review is about Charlotte's Web, okay? And we reviewed Charlotte's Web back in February. Yes. So I'm on IG, and this is from DLO underscore 143. Oh, okay, okay. okay. And I, this person said, I love this episode, and then had the tears and hearts emojis. Mm-hmm. I have read this book over 20 times. Wow. It's like a palate cleanser from all my intense required reading. Y'all are amazing. And this was such a fun listen. Yay. Oh thank my you. Goodness. Glad thank you, you loved so it because I love that book too. And thank you for bringing up the need for palate cleansers. Sometimes you read a book that sticks with you, which you do want from a good piece of literature. And sometimes when you're reading a book a week, you just need something to like flush it out, to flush out your mind, thoughts from all these stories. And a great palate. Do you have a palate cleanser book? No. No, Ooh. I've never thought of it like that before. I won't tell you what mine is, but I've li- I've read or listened to it about three times. And it stars one, Ignatius Riley. And I tell you, <laughs> <laughs> that book just starts me over and I'm ready to read again. But go ahead. Yeah. Thanks. So thank you. Uh, what was their name? D-L-O underscore one, four, three. Thank you. We thank, thank you. you. Yes, we do. Oh, wait, that's Diana. Hey, girl. No, that's a real life friend. Thank oh. you. <laughs> Hi, real Shout life out to friend. you and your mama because I know she listening. <laughs> hey, real life friend. <laughs> Remember, readers, to have your comments shared, message us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or, and we especially love this one, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, okay? Do that, do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's jump into our theme of the week. Each week, we select a theme to discuss inspired by the book we're reading. <laughs> the theme chosen for this week is how to get past rejection. Ooh. Listen, 
I don't experience my share of rejection in life. And it's not limited to just breakups, you know, relationships. That's where I mean, the mind I just goes. get rejections in life. <laughs> okay. I'm accustomed to it. Okay. <laughs> That's a thing for me. How about you, Kyrie? That means you reach and goals. Of course, if you're not putting yourself out there, if you're not trying your best in everything you do, you'll never be rejected. For instance, okay, listen, let me tell you about this rejection experience I had. It's going to be brief, real brief. Do tell, do tell. Listen, I was a volunteer at a health club. (laughs) Okay. And I got fired from it. I truly felt rejected. (laughs) How you get get fired and you a volunteer? (laughs) That's really bad, right? Listen, I wasn't showing up for the gig as they requested. But I, I was... Just not the way they wanted me to show up. You know what? And so I was rejected. And I felt some type of way about that. (laughs) I mean, I recovered quickly, but it was hard. It was like my first time being fired. Listen, I interviewed for a company that I thought I really wanted to work for. And the interview went well. I thought I was saying all the right things. When I got to the car, I realized I had completely sweated through my dress. And thinking back... Um, so it was in a small room with three people, the heads of the company and thinking back, they go, okay, Kari, it was good to meet you. And he didn't, the the gentleman showing me to the door, didn't want to touch my shoulder. He kind (laughs) of looked at my dress and I thought, why is he looking at me like that? Cause I'm cute. So when I got back to the car, I realized the pit sweat had went down to my waist and I ain't going to tell you what else, but it was shameful. It was shameful. It was shameful. Uh. So, yeah, I got now, I didn't get that job. <laughs> oh, so they did reject. They you. did. They rejected oh. me. Yep. Listen, listen, it can be hard <laughs> to experience rejection. But yeah. according to psychalive.com, our reaction to rejection is actually based on elements or events from our past, like an attachment history. As a result, how we react to rejection is often equally or even more significant than the rejection itself. So that's why it's important to learn how to deal with rejection. So I I got some tips, about seven of them, and we don't get into it. The act of reacting to the rejection is more impactful in our life than the actual rejection. Please tell me what's up with that. Number one, shift your perspective, okay? The basic idea about um, personality can contribute to whether we recover from or remain mired, as it says, in the pain of rejection. So do we have a fixed mindset or do we have a growth mindset? So now a fixed Mm. mindset is one um, that's set in stone. It says our personality is set in stone and it allows us to blame ourselves or maybe others for toxic personalities, um, toxic personalities and a breakup. And when we experience rejection, we second guess ourselves or we criticize ourselves. It's all about us. But if we have a growth mindset, then we look at the breakup as an opportunity for growth and change. And then we're not blocking off like a romantic future. So we don't think this was the end all be all essentially. Right. And relationships will get better. This relationship wasn't for me. So we want a growth mindset because that allows us to um, push past Um, the rejection, and it gives us a new perspective. Things will get better. This is not all there is. We can move on. 
And it's got to be cool if we don't feel that way immediately. Like no one feels rejected. It's like, great, great. I thought you were the love of my life. You just dumped me. So this is a opportunity for opportunity. (laughs) Now you can be (laughs) sad. (laughs) And then later, maybe you'll be like, "Mm, you weren't that cute anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Our second one is pay attention to your inner critic. And, you know, we talked about that inner negative voice when we reviewed feel the fear and do it anyway. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah, absolutely. Really negative, um, nagging voice that says all bad things. It's our fault. This relationship is over. It's our fault. We didn't get that job. Well, we want to fight against that inner voice. We need to learn how to work with it because it'll say it was your fault. You did something to deserve that. And that's truly not the case. So we need to identify it when it comes up and um, fight against that. Self um, depreciation is self deprecating. Oh, self deprecation. Listen, I'm gonna have to disagree with you there because sometimes I'll be like, How could they do that? and then my inner voice be like, Girl, that was you, and I'll be like, Yeah, yeah, inner voice, you right. Maybe if I had (laughs) done this (laughs) or done this this way, this wouldn't have happened. So I'm just, I don't know. Sometimes that inner voice be coming through clutch. Like, girl, do you see yourself? Get it together. It's all your fault. You are the source of your own problems. And I'll be like, thank you, inner voice. Man, you a ride or die. (laughs) So we don't want our inner (laughs) voice to beat us up. We, and and again, we'll get to that point. (laughs) Say it again. I said, unless we deserve it. (laughs) And part of blaming yourself makes you feel in control. Like, well, maybe this is partially my fault. And I do feel like everything you do or what happens to you, in some way, we carry part of the blame. That's not true, you don't think? Uh, yes, yes. So we should always acknowledge our role. Um, but not acknowledging that inner voice doesn't mean we don't accept responsibility for our actions. We just don't want to beat ourselves over yeah. our head to the yeah. point that we're feeling down in the dumps about this. Yeah, it's not useful to anyone. I got you. No, it doesn't. It doesn't save anybody. Yeah. So that's what they're talking about there. We want to have a healthy and realistic mindset and you know, frame of mind when we're dealing with our inner voice. Number three, don't look back with rose colored glasses. Yeah, I know we talked about this before, but I can't remember which book it was. Rosie Retrospection was our Great Gatsby episode. Yes, 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 yes. So when you look back and you see everything and it's like, Man, I, I'm really missing out on something. That relationship was really great. And it wasn't as great as you look back and say it was. For real? Or y'all In would fact, still be together. it was together. terrible. Yeah, it's true. Always. It's and, always true. Yeah. And then um, <laughs> maybe even a job that you thought was going to be so great and turn your life around. Maybe that wasn't as great as you thought it was going to be either. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you got to be careful about that. You don't want to make what was really a bad situation seem good just so you could... um feel good about it. All right. Number four, practice self-compassion. Um, it mentions that people who've gotten divorced, but had a high level of self-compassion reported fewer intrusive negative thoughts, fewer bad dreams about the divorce and less negative rumination. So self-compassion is defined by three key elements. 
one, self-kindness versus self-judgment. We should treat ourselves the way we would treat a friend. We want to be sympathetic and empathetic to our own struggle. It isn't about feeling sorry for ourselves or denying our mistakes, which we talked about. It's just, um, but it is about not being judgmental and cruel towards other, towards ourselves. The second element, common humanity and isolation. We got to recognize that everybody suffers and rejection mm-hmm. is a common experience. And just to remember that um, there are other people having the same experience. So there's no, so we shouldn't somehow feel different or isolated. Like this is um, limited to us. Nothing's ever happened to anybody else but us before. Girl, he ain't texting nobody back. He's not texting (laughs) anyone back. (laughs) (laughs) You could form a club with the amount of girls who are going through what you've been through right now. It's fine. Eat true story. (laughs) Okay. Eat true story. Number three, the third element, mindfulness versus over identification. Mindfulness is a practice is as a big, huge buzzword right now is a practice of focusing on our, our awareness on the present moment, learning to sit with a thought or experience without judgment. So mindfulness would help us to avoid over identifying with painful thoughts and feelings that arise. And we can have our feelings like actually feel the experience of being hurt without allowing our negative thoughts to take over. That mm-hmm. is the key behind mindfulness. So that is self-compassion. We need to be a friend to ourselves. I love that. Number five, allow yourself to feel your pain. That's Let it. it burn. Usher knew. It's okay. Usher knew. He knew all about <laughs> burns. Go ahead. <laughs> Listen, trying to cut off or brush over the feelings doesn't usually serve you. It doesn't. Mm -hmm. You need to experience the painful event. It's okay. It's it's perfectly fine to experience those feelings. We can always choose how we act. And while we don't want our feelings to um, take over how we behave, you know, just because we feel a certain way, we don't then want to act poorly towards other people. We don't want to shut people out, but we do want to feel our feelings Without going overboard. Yeah, and don't okay. try to get revenge yeah, through folks as children. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Don't spend your life trying to get back at folks. Right, right. It's not good for anybody. No. Mm-mm, it's not. Okay, number six. Avoid a victimized mindset. It says, while it's very important to acknowledge and feel our real feelings, it never serves us to ruminate in our suffering or feel victimized by our circumstances. It can be tempting to indulge excessively or brood um, over our circumstances or be angry, but we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. We want to move on from that bit of rejection in a healthy way. And number seven, embrace your individuality. We talked about this a little bit early on. You were saying, we can't just jump into um, an improved feeling. We have to feel our feelings. Well, embracing your individuality is the idea that, yeah, it's probably painful to revisit certain places, people or activities for a certain time. But what we can do is try new things. And this shows us that large and small opportunities exist and that 
we can get over things. This takes me also back to uh, Feel the Fear, Feel the Fear (laughs) book. Mm -hmm. And it made me think about those boxes, she said, and how have you put... um, I can't remember the if actual terminology. If you put all your eggs in the marriage basket, everything you are, um, everything you hope for, everything about you is tied to this one relationship, then if anything should ever happen to that relationship, if your mate were to unfortunately die, for example, what would you have left? Everything right. about you was in that basket. So our life needs, we need to be more balanced where um, who we are isn't just tied to one. It's not just tied to uh, one one thing it's not just tied to our careers we could lose our job it's not just tied to our children who we are because they'll eventually move out hopefully right um so so we need to um have goals and and dreams and activities that don't just center around one relationship i do like that advice yeah so that that's what the key is here you have other things going on. Don't limit it to just that uh, and one for real, individual. Looking for a job is a full-time job. But if you cannot find a job in your field, maybe this is a great time to try like a side dream job. Like maybe you've always thought about being a barista at Starbucks. Maybe yeah. this is the time to do that. There is no shame in that at all. Yeah, right. Finally, eight, make connections to your past. So if you recall from the beginning, it said that A lot of it is tied to your past. How we deal with rejection is tied to our past. So they suggest looking at our history because this can help us to process rejection. Um, They say we experience, um, we may feel more inclined to suffer with the loss if we've experienced an insecure attachment style early in our lives. So if we were maybe rejected, our parents left us, our mother, maybe we had a, a, a close, uh, a brother or sister, something at a young age where we, um, yeah, something we can, at a young age where we where felt rejected, been, um, separated or rejected in some form and that could really affect us. Oh, that's interesting. Then every rejection we experience in life takes us back to that first rejection or most rememberable, yep. most memorable rejection. Yeah. Yep. Oh, that's deep. Mm-hmm. That's interesting, isn't it? Yes. Mm-hmm. And so we pile that all on and that's, that also is not healthy, but no. it suggests that mm-hmm. we think about what that is and, and figure out how to work through that. The key is that we can overcome rejection. I love that. Did Thank you, you want to add anything else to that, Kari? No, those were great points. Um, I really appreciate that because rejection is inevitable for all of us. You never stop being rejected mm-hmm. in some way, in some aspect of your life uh, if you're moving forward. So uh, I love that advice. Thank you. Okay. Well, um, let's take a quick break before we get into the context and author intro. All righty. Can you introduce us to our author, Emily Bronte, and maybe some context about the book? Sure. Look, me and the Brontes got beef, but I'm going to keep it clean for Emily. I don't really know her like that. This is our first introduction to each other. So here we go. This is Emily Bronte. Is it Bronte or Bronte? We never figured that out. Bronte? Yeah. I'm going to say Bronte because you said it. Okay, here we go. (laughs) Don't get me. Don't get me, readers. Don't get me. Okay. 
Emily Bronte was an English novelist born in 1818 into a family of what would be English novelists. These included her sisters, Charlotte Bronte and Anna Bronte. The former, you know, um, from such classics as Jane Eyre and such disasters as Villette. (laughs) When Emily was only three years old, her mother died and soon she and her sisters were sent to a school for girls. And at this school, they were cared for so badly that two of her siblings died. Um, So when his babies like started dying, the father was like, come on home. okay?" well, actually, he was like Mm -hmm. bringing them home and they were immediately dying. Two of the girls did. So he brought the other three girls home, the Bronte sisters, who we know as the novelists. And basically, Emily more or less spent the rest of her days at the house. This is actually Alexis's future if she don't start leaving the house. (laughs) Look, Emily was a weirdo. Listen, I'm going to be writing a book that tell you that much. (laughs) (laughs) You're not a weirdo, though. You're great. Emily was a weirdo. By any modern standard, she was homeschooled, which is weird, although everyone's homeschooled now, right? She, <laughs> yeah. she, she never wanted to hang out with anyone but her sisters. Weird. She talked to animals. Weird. And she spent hours walking around like the marshy grassland around their house and writing fiction stories about universes that never existed. Weird. Hmm. That's right. We're excellent writers. She's one of those weirdos you can't help but relate to and love a little because of their social ineptitude coupled with unique genius. At 17, her sister Charlotte convinced her to join the school where Charlotte was teaching and Emily obliged but returned home soon after um, because of deathly homesickness. Mm. <laughs> Basic, she was, she was like, where daddy at? Where are my dogs? <laughs> um, these dishes too clean. I like everything a little dirty. And that's why we all keep dying because we dirty. Anyway, at 20, she started teaching herself, but returned home because she was sick. This girl liked to be at <laughs> Are home. Are you surprised? Okay? People tried to get her out the house multiple occasions and she just wasn't having it. When her father grew old enough to need care, um, she and her sisters returned to their childhood home and cared for him. They dreamed of opening their own school, but the location didn't have many school aged children with parents interested in having their children taught by weirdos. So the school never happened. Originally published under a pseudonym, folks thought Wuthering Heights was written by a man, and they were shocked at its graphic passion and untraditional portrayal of women. Huh? So there's uh-huh. that. Um, Emily died at the age of only 30, four months after the death of her only brother. So, yeah, I mean, I'm making jokes about her, but she was obviously the, the way she writes. She was um, not someone who received a structure education growing up. It was a little bit like educated. <laughs> um, oh, the book that mm-hmm. we featured. Yeah. About Tara uh, Westover. But not really. I mean, Emily was sheltered in her environment, but she was still um, a reader. Her and her family were very much about books. And that alone um, gave her enough. The, the skills that she needed to become a novelist and write a story like this, which has lasted over a century, uh, over two centuries. The story is very old and um, it still has mm-hmm. modern day uh, relatability. So that's Emily. Anything you want to bring out about Bronte? Crazy old Bronte. No, nothing to bring out. <laughs> and they were dark. All these girls were dark. I mean, everyone around them was dying. I think the Gothic period was growing more in um, fashion at this time because for real 
everyone was dying. Um, sometimes because yeah. of like uncleanness, like for example, there was, I think a graveyard by her family home and maybe the water right. in their house was contaminated and was giving everybody what typhoid, I don't know, something nasty. And all of these things were like preventable tuberculosis. People would go outside, get caught in the rain, get a fever and die. So, right. you know, malnutrition was a thing and yeah, it was a hard time. So the literature that comes out of this period is very dark and um, sometimes a beautiful way. So very interesting. And sometimes not Valette. OK, that's all I got. <laughs> well, uh, let's move it on then and let's get your brief synopsis without spoilers before we jump into the deep dive. All right. So <clears throat> no spoilers in the synopsis. Wuthering Heights is a tale of undying passion born of loneliness and shame, a type of passion that consumes everything in its path and leaves only gloom and death in its wake. This is the type of love two terrible people share in a village ridden with incestuous marriages disguised as English tradition. Did we mention that these terrible people are like siblings? Technically, they are. Anywho, <laughs> this story is old and English, so we're going to act like all of this is okay. It isn't. <laughs> Alexis, what were your first thoughts of Wuthering Heights? So I was kind of excited to read the book, having seen the mini, the movie oh so many years ago. Uh, as I read the book, I realized I didn't know the movie at all. <laughs> wait, what do you mean? Sorry? Wait, wait, what does that mean? You read the book and realized you didn't know the movie? So the movie was must not have been as you thought you remembered it. It's not as I thought I remembered you. it. I okay. haven't gone back to check. I love that. But okay. It's just, it's, it's, it's not. Okay, that happens. It's just not. Hey, that happens sometimes. We read Rebecca, which I love. So I went back to watch Rebecca by um, Hitchcock. That movie was boring. And I've seen it like 20 times. And it bored me to death. I'd much rather read the book. So in this case, the book surprised you and you realized oh, you, didn't, you yeah. didn't remember mm -hmm. the movie like you I thought. realized I didn't know the story at all. Well, my first thought was, I guess I got to read it. It's a classic. And by the way, we're not like of the team. You must read all the classics at all. I nope. mean, we just discovered Jade Austen. <laughs> but, but, um, no, not true. <laughs> and we read Charlotte Bronte's Villette. And I just decided the Bronte sisters were not my cup of uh, typhoid filled tea. However, <laughs> you know. We're giving the sister a try this time with Wuthering Heights. We're giving new Emily sister. a try. New sister, <laughs> new style, not really, still dark. So, yeah, that was it. Okay, well, good. Then are we ready to take this deep dive with all the spoilers in the world? For real, we are. We are. I'm ready. Let's do it. You know, I was thinking this book could have been two episodes, but then I thought, no, because a big chunk of it don't really need to be told. And I'm not going to tell it here. So here we go. A deep dive into Wuthering Heights by Emily Bronte. Part one. Lockwood is a weirdo. 1801 <laughs> is the year. Our narrator, Mr. Lockwood, is moving to the countryside of England. So we're in Lockwood's head. Really throughout the book. But anyway, he will have only one neighbor, his landlord, Mr. Heathcliff. It is a misanthropist heaven, he says. Mm -hmm. And he's looking forward to a life lived without the plague of company. The name of Heathcliff's dwelling is Wuthering Heights, indicating the wind that beats on it constantly. It's a family estate. When Mr. Lockwood arrives, he's instantly captivated by Mr. Heathcliff, who is seemingly standoffish, rude, and arrogant. Lockwood is like, oh, you like me, you know, you want to be social, but you're not. Just like me, we're both awkward. I understand. Great. 
I do too. I love meeting awkward people. And I'm like, hey, let's go in a corner and just talk to each other. And then they'd be like, okay, because we hate being social. Here we go. Lockwood also lets us in on a secret. He's always been painfully awkward and incapable of showing emotion. His mother used to tell him he'd never have a happy home. And his this prophecy was nearly proved true recently when he fell in love with a girl in his locale. She sensed his feelings and seemed to reciprocate his affection. But when it became clear that she felt the same, he became stoic, standoffish, awkward, even more awkward. He was accused of being deliberately heartless and the girl and her family moved away. Oh, whoa. So to summarize, Lockwood is basically Steve Urkel from the 90s TGIF sitcom Family Matters. Heathcliff is like (laughs) Daniel Day-Lewis in any movie starring Daniel Day-Lewis. This pairing is weird. Sometime later, while running away, furiously away from a delicate snowfall, Lockwood returns to the Heathcliff home where he meets Heathcliff's wife, Mrs. Heathcliff. Lockwood tries to make conversation with the steel-faced beauty of a woman who looks at him with disdain. Her obvious dislike for him makes Lockwood even more awkward in her presence. He comments, you must really love cats, while pointing to a chair full of dead rabbit skins. (laughs) He soon realizes his mistake and is horrified. Oh, oh, the woman is thoroughly disgusted with him by now. So over tea, he compliments Heathcliff on his beautiful wife. She really is gorgeous. Mm -hmm. Immediately, Heathcliff throws a comment at the woman so rude and offensive that it completely changes Lockwood's opinion of Heathcliff. How could he speak to his beautiful young wife so cruelly? Lockwood thinks. Except Lockwood's made another mistake. The girl is not Heathcliff's wife. She's his daughter-in-law. The girl's husband, Heathcliff's son, is dead. It's assumed. And indeed he is. Everyone equally hates Lockwood now. Everybody at the table. And they're like cussing him out under their breath. Who is this character? And he petting a cat and he like, oh yeah, you just a chair full of dead rabbit skins. (laughs) So the snowfall is now serious and Lockwood must stay at Heathcliff's home overnight at Wuthering Heights. He's shown to his room, which is kept in a creepy corner of the house. Inside his room, three names are etched into the paint. One. Catherine Heathcliff, two, Catherine Lytton, and three, Catherine Earnshaw. Lockwood is a weirdo, as we said. To, so to put himself in the mood for sleep, he starts going through their things. <laughs> and he finds a diary and starts reading it because, of course, he, he did. Of in course. the diary, of course, in the diary is an entry written by Catherine Earnshaw describing a day when her and Heathcliff were forced to listen to a boring sermon. Are you bored yet? So is Lockwood. He falls asleep. He then starts dreaming of the people whose business he just read about and the dreams disturb him. There is a girl trying to climb into his window. Her name is Catherine Linton. He grabs, she grabs Lockwood's wrist and he, trying to break free from her grasp, cuts her arm on the window while screaming. (laughs) This grown man. He is still screaming when he awakens to find Heathcliff in his room. Lockwood tells Heathcliff about the girl he just dreamed about. And Heathcliff's like, shut up, you stupid. And Lockwood is like, <laughs> he really does. He is like, that's dumb. Just, You're just dumb. stupid. Shut up. You're just so stupid. And then Lockwood's like, get me out of this house. <laughs> and he flees the room screaming even louder. Ah! Nonsense. He soon hears Heathcliff 
inside of the room he just ran out of, Lockwood just ran out of, Heathcliff is crying and calling Catherine's name, begging her to return. Part two, Ellen Nellie Dean is a gossip. So back at his residence, Lockwood strikes up a convo with the woman who cares for the home. Her name is Ellen Dean, but everyone calls her Nellie. She's known the family for generations, and she edifies him on the background of Heathcliff. First, the woman he originally thought to be Mrs. Heathcliff is indeed the granddaughter of Mr. Earnshaw, the late proprietor of Wuthering Heights. So Heathcliff owns Wuthering Heights now, but it used to be owned by a man named Earnshaw. And the woman, just to confuse you a bit, who is the daughter-in-law of Heathcliff, was, is actually the granddaughter of Mr. Earnshaw. <laughs> the <laughs> again, the late proprietor of Wuthering Heights. And he ain't late because he ain't on time. He late because he dead. Because everyone in this book is dying. Dead Her or dying, mother, <laughs> they died. Yeah, they died or they's dying. And that's and just listen, it. Once you uh, accept that, Lockwood the book is easier to is take. here for the tea. Do you hear me? He, <laughs> he wants to know everybody's business. Yeah, he, yeah, he's nosy and she's a gossip. So it's a perfect pair. So Nellie is like telling all the family business. The woman who you thought was Mrs. Heathcliff, who's actually the granddaughter of Mr. Earnshaw, her mother was named Catherine like her. So she's like a junior, that woman, that girl that you met. Her mother, Catherine, the original Catherine, had a brother named Henley. Years ago, Mr. Earnshaw went for a long walk to Liverpool and brought home a dark haired child he'd found. He named that boy Heathcliff. The family was both shocked and disgusted by the child. But soon the mom tolerates the boy and the daughter, Catherine, even begins to love the boy, Heathcliff. Henley, though, is like, "Uh uh-uh, y'all, we hate him. And soon Henley is like the only one who really hates Heathcliff, but he hates his guts. So um, his dad, however, Mr. Earnshaw, just loves Heathcliff more and more every day. And the more Henley hates him, the more the dad loves Heathcliff. Um, like his own son, really. He loved him more than Henley, his own son. So all of the children go, grow sick one day after the mother died and Nellie had to take up the duties of the woman of the house and simultaneously care for all the kids. Out of all of them, um, in that environment, Heathcliff even became her favorite. He was quiet and he was attached to her. The kids eventually did get better, but the evil um, character of Heathcliff soon began to show in the way he treated the other children, especially Henley, who had no ally in the family at this point. Heathcliff was conniving and he was a liar. He would say stuff like, if you don't do this, I'm going to tell my daddy and my daddy already hates you. So I know you don't want him to hate you more. This is Heathcliff, the little boy that Mr. Earnshaw brought home. So he's really like a terror. Yeah. Yeah. Albeit all the children are basically demons. Okay. None of these kids are good. (laughs) They're all terrible to be around. Toward the end of his life, Mr. Earnshaw wants peace in the home. He's grown more attached than Heathcliff, to Heathcliff than ever um, and suspects everyone hates him because he loves him so. So to stop the constant quarreling between Henley and Heathcliff, Mr. Earnshaw sends Henley away to college. His daughter, Catherine, remember we said she loves Heathcliff and like um, plays with him all the time, grows more and more attached to Heathcliff over the years. The best punishment everyone could even ever think for her would be to separate her from Heathcliff. And these kids needed punishing a lot because they're all really bad. Her father eventually becomes more distant from her. Catherine's father, Mr. Earnshaw, um, seeing her as only a nuisance. She is. And she, without his gentleness, <laughs> becomes more tyrannical. Still, she was kind at her core, Nellie um, assumed. 
and one night went to say goodnight to her father. But he wouldn't move. Ah, he was uh, dead. Died. It was sad. Oh, he died. Ah, For the funeral, <laughs> the son Henley returns home from school and he, be- he brings with him a wife. I tell you about her, but it really doesn't matter because she's going to have a child and die rather uneventfully. The child lives, however. His name is Harriton. We'll call him Harry because Harriton is a dumb name. Sorry if your name's Harriton. <laughs> anyway, forget all them people for, for right now. We're not going to talk about them. Forget them. Okay, moving on. At this point, Heathcliff is basically banished to live with the servants because Mr. Earnshaw is dead and Henley is like the man of the house and Henley hates him. Catherine is Heathcliff's only friend. One night, Heathcliff and Catherine aren't home by bedtime and Henley orders the doors to be locked and for them not to be let in, no matter if they do show up. It turns out the two children ran to a far neighbor's home to torment those kids that live there. Those kids at the <laughs> neighbor's house. Terrible. Those kids at the neighbor's house are named Edgar and Isabella Linton. Everyone at church thinks the Linton children are perfect. And Heathcliff and Catherine plan to sneak to the Linton home and persecute them kids. <laughs> <laughs> The two terrorists are are um, planning this all out. They get to the house, but their plans are thwarted when they fall from a window and the guard dog gets a hold of Catherine's ankle. And I, am I remembering this right? Yeah. 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 OK. <laughs> so then the Lentons are like, oh, you poor, beautiful thing. And she's taken inside by the Linton family and Heathcliff uh, patiently waits outside because the um, Lentons are like, oh, you dark and dirty. <laughs> and truthfully, he's like dirty. Him. But he's like dark in a way where he's fair skinned, but he has dark hair. So they don't like him. It's uh. from the window. Heathcliff watches as Catherine sits among the Lintons, the Linton family, almost in admiration of their lifestyle. They treat her like a lady, like a proper lady and are caring for her like she's a princess. I mean, truthfully, they dog did like bite her ankle off. But whatever. Heathcliff is just growing more and more jealous and angry. And then. She's even playing with the dog that just tried to eat her. <laughs> so Heathcliff <laughs> returns home without Catherine. The next day, Mr. Linton, again without Catherine, returns to Wuthering Heights, or not returns. Mr. Linton shows up at Wuthering Heights without the girl and dresses down Henley for not watching over the children in his care. Henley is humiliated. And to get back at Heathcliff, who he blames for everything, forbids Heathcliff from communicating with Catherine ever again. This is a big deal because... He- Catherine's like his only friend. Five weeks later, so a month and a week, Catherine been at the Linton home, eating their crumpets, um, dressing in their silks, playing with their dog and their children. Okay. And they're She's teaching her girl. how to be a, a fine lady. Okay. Catherine returns with manners <laughs> and everyone <laughs> is shocked. She left the house a strange, wild animal and has returned a refined lady. <laughs> <laughs> During a dinner where the Linton children are present as guests, Heathcliff is condemned to the attic like Cinderella or somebody uh, with no food by Henley. Heathcliff tells Nellie he hopes Henley doesn't die before he does because his goal is revenge. Heathcliff mm. wants to get revenge on Henley. So before this moment, Catherine and Heathcliff were equals before this moment. They were even educated in like an equal manner and Heathcliff excelled. But after her time with the Lintons, Catherine is more elegant than before. And especially in front of the Linton children, it seems like she's a new person. She's putting on airs. Um, and around Heathcliff, she's like still the same wild animal. So Heathcliff is put off by her transformation in front of the Lintons. 
And so he stops trying to be educated. He just like gives up on himself. Heathcliff does. And Henley becomes more and more like evil toward him, too. So Heathcliff completely gives up on himself. He gives up, gives up on his education and he starts to amuse himself only by appalling others. So he's the type of kid that'll jump out of closet like with a dirty nose and some <laughs> dirty jaws on and be like, ah, ooga booga. And you like, ah, oh, <laughs> he's like, gotcha. So that's Heathcliff. Um, so around the age of 20, Catherine begins dating Edgar Linton. Remember one of the Linton children who almost, who almost breaks up with her when he sees she's a horror. Like she pinches Nellie and lies about it. And she, then she starts getting hysterical. And he's like, oh, you drama. But she's beautiful. So he stayed with her. Now back to Harry. Sorry, y'all. Remember, Harry is the boy um, that Henley had with the wife who died. Nellie is the child's main caretaker because his mom's dead. And Henley is such an abusive drunk that Nellie will hide the child whenever Henley enters a room. One day, Henley catches Nellie hiding the boy in a cabinet and he takes the boy and runs upstairs. But oh no, he accidentally drops the child off the side of the banister to certain death. Fortunately, the boy is saved by an unlikely hero. Poor Harriton was squalling and kicking in his father's arms with all his might and redoubled his yells when he carried him upstairs and lifted him over the banister. I cried out that he would frighten the child into fits and ran to rescue him. As I reached them, Henley leant forward on the rails to listen to a noise below, almost forgetting what he had in his hands. Who was that? he asked, hearing someone approaching the stairs foot. I leant forward, also for the purpose of signing to Heathcliff, whose step I'd recognized not to come forward, and at the instant when my eyes quitted Harrington, he gave a sudden spring, delivered himself from the callous grasp that held him, and fell. There was scarcely time to experience a thrill of horror before we saw that the little wretch was safe. Heathcliff arrived underneath just at the critical moment. By a natural impulse, he arrested his descent and setting him on his feet, looked up to discover the author of the accident. A miser who had parted with the lucky lottery ticket for five shillings and finds next day he is lost in the bargain. Five thousand pounds could not show a blanker countenance than he did on beholding the figure of Mr. Unshaw above. It expressed, plainer than words could do, the intensest anguish at having made himself the instrument of thwarting his own revenge. Had it been Doc, I dare say, he would have tried to remedy the mistake by smashing Hareton's skull on the steps. But we witnessed his salvation, and I was presently below with my precious charge pressed to my heart. Henley descended more leisurely, sobered and abashed. It is your fault, Ellen, he said. You should have kept him out of sight. You should have taken him from me. Is he injured anywhere? Injured? I cried angrily. If he's not killed, he'll be an idiot. Oh, I wonder his mother does not rise from her grave to see how you use him. You're worse than a heathen, treating your own flesh and blood in this manner. He attempted to touch the child, who, on finding himself with me, sobbed off his terror directly. At the first finger, his father laid on him. However, he shrieked again louder than before and struggled as if he were going to convulsions. You shall not meddle with him, I continued. He hates you. They all hate you. That's the truth. A happy family you have and a pretty state you are come to. I shall come to a prettier yet, Nelly, laughed the misguided man, recovering his hardness. At present, convey yourself and him away and hawk you, Heathcliff. Clear you too, quite from my reach and hearing. I wouldn't murder you tonight unless perhaps I set the house on fire, but that's as my fancy goes. While saying this, he took a pint bottle of brandy from the dresser and poured some into a tumbler. 
Heathcliff regrets catching the boy, seeing that moment as a chance to enact revenge on Henley. Oh, well, the baby lives. Soon, Linton, Edgar Linton, proposes and Catherine accepts, but she realizes she loves him for superficial reasons. The only one she really loves is, guess who, Alexis? Heathcliff. That's right. Her foster brother, Heathcliff. Now, y'all can say this is okay. It ain't. He is more her than she is herself. How you gonna love somebody because they just as terrible as I am? Oh, well, <laughs> that's what's happening here. So she's like, he's more mean than I'm me. So I love Heathcliff. But she can't marry Heathcliff, she says. She can't marry Heathcliff. You. You like <laughs> he really has no land. Like he has. Yeah, he has nothing. Also, like he he's like a wild animal. Heathcliff hears this and runs away. Never, Never to, to be, be seen, seen again. <laughs> I didn't know how go- exactly. Basically, that's what happened. <laughs> so <laughs> Catherine waits for Heathcliff to come back and she waits in the rain and catches a fever. The Lintons are so kind. These people are great. So they're like, baby girl, come co- convalesce at our house. You know, you're engaged to our son, basically. Just come to our house and we'll take care of you. And they did. Uh-uh. But then they catch the fever and both the parents die. <laughs> because symbolism, Ooh. Catherine is a plague. What a book. <laughs> she is the worst. Yeah, so both the Linton parents are dead and only Edgar and his sister are alive now. Uh, Catherine gets better, though. And three years later, she marries the son, Edgar Linton. Part three, Heathcliff is revengeful. Nellie leaves Wuthering Heights to become Catherine's lady maid, basically, um, from what I know um, from Downton Abbey, at the Linton home. By going with Catherine, Nellie leaves Harry in the care of his crazed father and a strange proselytizing servant named Joseph. Lockwood asked Nellie, since she know everybody business, how did Heathcliff acquire his fortune and learn to behave himself socially? She knows everything, but she doesn't know that. She continues telling him the business she does know. Going back to the early years of marriage between Catherine and Edgar. So you see we're in Lockwood's mind. It's so convoluted. We're in his mind as he's being told this by Nellie. So all the words are coming from Nellie and not in Lockwood's mind. Yeah, it's give me a break. Am I right? Yeah. So early years of marriage between Catherine and Edgar. Despite the fact that Catherine is the absolute worst, she got along well with Edgar and his sister Isabel. They seemed to bend to her will and their yielding made Catherine nicer and pleasant to be around. But six months into their marriage, guess who returned? Dun, da, da, da. Heathcliff? You got it. Heathcliff comes back. From who knows where with money and manners now also he looks really good <laughs> like a young <laughs> money <laughs> and manners and he's good looking too. he don't need neither because he's just fine so he come back looking like a young tom welling or a young and old henry cavill he's Ooh. dark brooding and Ooh. somewhat buff but i digress uh, Catherine sees Heathcliff <laughs> and becomes a bumbling fool over him. She's like, oh, but, 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 Heathcliff, my brother. Uh, like, uh, seriously, <laughs> a bumbling fool. <laughs> and Edgar gets jealous. And Edgar is like, I feel for him because he's like, should I be jealous? Because this is her brother, right? But he's also like mange. But also he's fine and bigger than me and I can't fight him. So I'm just full of feelings. This exactly. is Edgar, her husband. He don't know which way to take him. No, he don't know what to do. 
And he's a proper gentleman, so he, you know, he can't. That means he's kind of cowardly also. (laughs) (laughs) So Heathcliff announces to the household that he lives at Wuthering Heights now. Yes, with Henley, whom he hates. It's clear he's returned solely for Catherine. Henley allows Heathcliff to stay at Wuthering Heights because Henley, get this, loves to gamble. And it seems like Heathcliff has money. So Henley like wants his money. So he's like, you can stay here. You it's can stay weird. Here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Catherine and her sister-in-law, Isabel, uh, start visiting Heathcliff and allowing him to visit their home all the time. This results in Isabel falling in love with Heathcliff to Catherine's dismay. So Heathcliff basically tells Catherine, look, we love each other, but you marry Edgar. So I'm going to marry your dumb sister-in-law to get revenge on you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Having obviously claimed the love of both his wife and his sister, Heathcliff is rude to Edgar. Like, I got everything in the world that matter to you. And Edgar can't take it no more. They fight, kind of. So listen, Edgar, <laughs> like we said, is a proper gentleman, which means he's kind of a delicate, like snowflake. He's also small, like physically, and truly delicate, literally, compared to Heathcliff. But he becomes so filled with emotion and rage that he manages to land a punch on Heathcliff's throat. Let me set the scene. So everyone's in the living room and Heathcliff's like, hey, Edgar, um, have a nice fall and trips him. (laughs) And it throws hot tea in his face. This didn't happen, but basically it did. And instead of like kicking him out of his house, Edgar gets up. And puts his hand to his forehead like he about to faint and lean against a chair. And then Heathcliff's like, oh, my goodness, is the delicate flower going to faint? And then Edgar's like, I can't take it no more. And he rouses his fist back like a cartoon and swings. But he didn't miss somehow. And he hits Heathcliff in the throat. He punched him in the throat. And that's a tough punch right there. And he kind of, he's small compared to him, so he probably had to jump up to get there. As soon as he realizes, it's like Neil Patrick Harris punching Henry Cavill in the throat. A sight to see. <laughs> Immediately, Edgar runs out of the house because he don't want no problem. He don't, he don't want no smoke. <laughs> he's like, hey, servants, help me fight. And Heathcliff, Heathcliff is like, I'll take on everybody. But then he like thinks about it. And he don't want basically the whole household to be fighting against him so Heathcliff's like okay fine I'm gonna go back to Weathering Heights for now instead of beating up Edgar which is what I want to do so um Edgar's like look Catherine choose between me or your foster brother (laughs) and she's like no I'm going to pretend to be crazy until I actually drive myself to hysteria which she does okay instead of making a decision between her husband and her brother and I'm gonna call him her brother y'all say what y'all want Instead of making a decision between her husband and her brother, she pretends to be crazy so vehemently that she drives herself crazy. Okay. Also, Isabel runs away to elope with Heathcliff. This is bad. Everything's bad. Okay. So Isabel was like really sweet, sheltered, but kind. Anyway, she runs away and elopes with Heathcliff, who is only marrying her for revenge. And Isabel regrets it immediately. Edgar is brokenhearted and decides to stop communicating with Isabel altogether, deciding she's disowned him by marrying that monster. Even though she's on the brink of insanity and no one can stand to be around Catherine, somehow she gets pregnant. <laughs> so she's about to have her husband's baby um, and she's still like halfway hanging out of windows and sweating and not eating. It's, it's, she's it's not a lot. well. She's, she's mm-hmm. not well. 
Isabel also writes from her new home. First, she writes to her brother, and when he doesn't answer, she writes to Nellie, the housemaid. Her message to Nellie is secretive. She needs to tell someone what's been happening to her, which is as follows. First, Heathcliff isn't a man. He's barely human, she decides. He's a monster. He's a monster. Second of all, he abuses her. Third, Joseph, the servant at Wuthering Heights, is painfully rude to her. Fourth, Henley is painfully rude to her. Fifth, Harry, the child, is an ill-witted demon. Uh, her life now is total misery all the time. Hi, how are you? I hate it here. That's her letter. <laughs> Nellie goes to see Isabel at Wuthering Heights. And when she does, Heathcliff tells her of his intentions right in front of Isabel. All he cares about is Catherine. He married Isabel to get back at Catherine and Edgar. He made it plain. He laid it all out there. And if Catherine had chosen him, he says he would have been kind to Edgar. And if Catherine had ever, even in a moment, decided Edgar no longer pleased her, he would have slit Edgar's throat. He wants, this is what he says. He wants to see Catherine and Nellie will help him or he'll hurt her in some way. This is dark. Nellie complies and Heathcliff goes to see a pregnant, delirious, very married Catherine privately. When she sees him, her strength temporarily comes back and it is clear to Heathcliff that she is indeed close to death. They kiss before he, overcome with grief, chastises her for leaving him and disobeying her heart. He left her too, she replies. And whatever her sins, she's paying for them now. Edgar comes home and Heathcliff refuses to budge. He's like, I'm not leaving um, until Catherine is overcome with labor. This reminds me of the scene from um, Tolstoy, Anna Karenina. Yes, but Catherine ain't gonna make it. Uh Uh-huh. So she has the baby. She has a little girl. They name her Catherine, just like her mom. And then Catherine, the mom, dies because this is the Bronte sisters and everyone's going to die. Heathcliff vows revenge. He does that a lot. (laughs) Henley does not come to his sister Catherine's funeral. Edgar has her buried near the creepy grassy hills she used to love to walk on. Henley, the brother, dies six months after Catherine, his sister, does. And when he dies, he's in so much debt that Heathcliff is now the owner of Wuthering Heights. Not Harry, not Henley's son, but Heathcliff. Heathcliff's moment for revenge is now. And he plans to keep Harry, Henley's son, and raise him, treating him badly. That is the plan. I mean, not, like he just, everybody gets going to get treated badly. I yeah, mean, he's going to make Harry basically live out his terrible childhood. Heathcliff's yes. terrible childhood. So he doesn't give him a proper education and stuff like that. So anyway, Harry should be the heir, but instead he is treated worse than the servants. Oh, also Isabel, uh, Heathcliff's wife, she went, she ran away while she was pregnant with their child. She had the child. And then guess what? She died um, because everyone in his book is dead or in the process of dying. Die. Heathcliff mm-hmm. brings the boy to Wuthering Heights and starts to plan to make young Kathy who lives at the other house, not at Wuthering Heights, who lives with Edgar, fall in love with his son. Yes, her first cousin. He got a whole master plan, okay? A whole master plan. And that's nothing seeing as how he's still pining over his dead foster sister. So he like, I'm going to make that girl fall in love with her first cousin, who's my son. (laughs) My plan is working out perfectly. (laughs) Oh, okay. So speaking of young Kathy, she's got only her mother's good qualities, the beauty, the charisma but not her narcissism or stupidity. In fact, young Kathy, who we'll call Kathy instead of Catherine, um, is bright and kind. 
she's kept like a happy prisoner at Thrushcross Grange, which is the other house, the neighbor's house, um, the Linton home, I should say, with her father and Nellie for company. They're her only company. One day, Kathy escapes and runs off farther than she's ever gone right into the front door of Wuthering Heights. She and Harry meet and spend the day playing together before Nellie finds Kathy. And Nellie's like, you're way too far from the Pride Lands, Kathy. And Kathy's like, but I thought a king could do whatever he wants. (laughs) Nellie convinces Catherine to leave Harry and return home or else her father may find out. And Nellie, whom she loves, might be fired. So Kathy's like, "Okay, okay, I won't tell. So now there are two young boys at Wuthering Heights. One is Harry, who's Hinton's son, Hinton, dead Hinton. And the second is Linton, who's Heathcliff's son. Too much. Harry too is, much. No, <laughs> Harry's rude and dumb. Linton is frail and weak. He's always sick. He's whiny. He's pale. And his palms are probably clammy when you touch him. When you shake his hand, you probably got to wipe your hand on Ew, your jeans. You know, I people. know that handshake. <laughs> oh, I should mention that um, before Linton arrived at Wuthering Heights, he was being cared for by his uncle Edgar at Thrushcross Grange. Um, Kathy loved the boy and treated him like her pet. She just fawned all over him and he loved her fussing all over him all the time. And so um, Heathcliff was like, I don't even want this weak embarrassment of a son, but I don't want y'all to raise him because it'll make y'all happy. So I'm going to take him. So he did. Years later, Kathy is 16 now and playing out in the grassland with Nellie and they run into Heathcliff and Harry. Heathcliff's like, this boy is dumb. Don't pay attention to him. This is Harry. okay? (laughs) but listen, I got a son named Linton at the house and girl, he looked like Jason Momoa. Actually, that boy looked like Sarah Jessica Parker, but but Heathcliff (laughs) is lying in hopes that his plan will work. Remember, he wants young Kathy to fall in love Mm -hmm. with his son. When Kathy sees Linton for the first time in a long time, she's not interested in this weak, whiny person. And she runs off to play with Harry again, like she did back in the day. Now Heathcliff um, had told Kathy some lie about why her father won't allow her to visit Wuthering Heights. So uh, while the kids are playing, Heathcliff's is like, hey, Kathy, don't tell your daddy you was here because your daddy hate me. And here's some lie as to why. And she's like, OK, sure. I won't tell my father, my only friend in the world, why I'm here. And then she immediately goes home and tells her father she was at Wuthering Heights and met Heathcliff. And he says, you don't like him. And what's up with that, daddy? Edgar calmly tells her the truth about why he doesn't like Heathcliff and why she mustn't go there ever again. Um, She understands. But secretly, Kathy begins exchanging letters through the milk boy with Linton. So she gives the milk boy a letter for Linton and Linton writes back. Not Harry, who she enjoys the company of. Because Harry is illiterate, unfortunately. Um, And Heathcliff probably been writing some of these letters himself to like make (laughs) Kathy fall in love with his (laughs) pathetic son. True. So anyway, when I'm almost done, you guys, when Nellie finds the letters, she burns them. And Kathy's sworn to stop writing to Linton. When she stops, when when the girl stops writing to his son, Heathcliff shows up and says, because you stopped writing my son, he dying. <laughs> surprise, <laughs> surprise. Everybody dying. Anyway, how you like them apples? And Kathy is like, oh, no, I got to go see Linton because I don't want to be responsible for his life. I don't want him to die because I didn't write him. When she does, Linton's like, Kathy, you should marry me. And she's like, oh, no. You, <laughs> <"Ugh."> <laughs> and he's like, well, then I'm going to die. 
Cause I'm frail and weak, and then she's like, "Oh, my bad. I'll, I, I, I don't want to marry you. I can't even lie to you. But listen, I'll come co- help you convalesce, which you are constantly doing." Um, and they go on like this with Linton overplaying his weaknesses. He is truly weak, but he like is dramatic about it. And Kathy is so kind-hearted. She even secretly leaves her home, thr- um, Thrushcross, whatever. She secretly leaves the home all the time just to hang out with him to take care of to him. To take care of him. Not hang not out. Not to have fun. Take yeah, care not of even, Yes. There is no hanging yeah. out. She is literally just taking care of him. Yeah. Like she sneaks out the house and finds him and he like, somebody help me eat these peas. And she got to <laughs> mash up the peas and put them in his mouth. It's nuts. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> so listen, it's about to get a lot crazier. One day Heathcliff, get this, imprisons Kathy and Linton in a room until they are married. Did you hear me? Yup. He also locks up Nellie for like a week. <laughs> and when she's finally released, it, like he, like, it's like, this is insane. It's just insane. This is crazy. It's crazy. So he anyway, when she's these people, basically he kidnaps them and locks them in a room until they do what he says. And so when Nellie is finally released by one of the maids, she realizes Kathy and Linton were married while she was locked up. Um, Kathy being miserable and Linton being ecstatic to receive all of her stuff when her father dies. It's dark. By the way, her father dies because because Bronte sisters before Edgar dies, dies, he sees his daughter one more time. Right. Until Linton dies. Kathy takes care of him because she's kind. However, she is treated poorly at Wuthering Heights. She's also sometimes mean to Harry because he's ignorant. One time she caught him like trying to read and he was like sounding out the words probably. And she made some smart alecky comment and he stops trying to read altogether because he's so embarrassed by her comment. And she regrets her brief moment of cruelty. Part four, everyone dies. (laughs) Linton is dead. It is only Kathy. Harry and Heathcliff in the house. Everyone hates each other. Kathy looks like a lot like her mom. Everybody <laughs> hates each other. <laughs> this is really where we saw where we meet Lockwood for the first time in the beginning of the book. So now we've come full circle. Um, Kathy looks a lot like her mom, though, and it becomes increasingly hard for Heathcliff to be mean to her all the time because he's so madly in love with his foster sister. So he just starts ignoring Kathy. Then Kathy is like, why am I mean to Harry? Like, why? Why? So I'm gonna be nice to him now. So Heathcliff starts ignoring both of them and they start being more kind to each other. You see where this is going? Uh-huh. And Kathy starts teaching Harry to read. Eventually, the first Kathy is Catherine, you know, the mom, is all Heathcliff can think about. And he feels like he sees her everywhere. What was it all for? He says he spent his life seeking revenge. And now all he wants is to be dead with Catherine. He soon dies. The end. You want to take a break, please? (laughs) Let's do it. What did you think of Wuthering Heights and would you recommend it? What's your final verdict? I don't know, man. There's a just a lot in this book. So I didn't <laughs> truly get a chance to read the book. I listened to the book. 
And the reading mm. was excellent. Can I just say Who that? Who read it? The reading, the reading was excellent. What did did someone famous read it? Like an actress? No, no. Oh, okay, Mm-mm. okay. She did. She did great job. Anyway, um, so listening to it, I'm like, I can't read this book. I don't want to read this book. This is probably the better way to go is to listen to this book. I mean, it is so much going on. This happened over here and the way they're retelling the story and sending it back. And we didn't, I didn't really realize that we were in his head. Yeah. I thought it was Nellie telling the story the whole time. And then all of a sudden they pick up and they're like, but didn't you tell that story already? So what frustrates me about that is we also learn things that Lockwood could have never known. Right. You so you how understand? is he telling the story? So how the rules are it? not consistent. Yeah, I don't like it. Mm-hmm. And then he actually, there's actually this point where he says, I'm going to pick up and tell the story the way she told it to me. How no, he, what that? he says, what he says is, I'm going to pick up and tell the story as she told it to me, but it ain't going to be as good as she was telling me. Right. Oh, I'm that. really excited to read it now. <laughs> you didn't tell me it ain't going to be as great as it was in the beginning. Yeah, you guys, these Bronte's. It was interesting, but right, everybody dies. Um, it was the treatment in the story. I, I was engaged with the reading of the story, but I don't think, and I don't, maybe I don't remember the movie. I don't think it's anything like the movie. Now that I think about it, it's nothing like yeah. the movie. So I, I, um, I don't have to read this again. I don't. I'm sorry, Emily. I'm going to take a pass. If I had to do it for a class, I would, but I wouldn't commit to it. And I wouldn't encourage anyone else to read it. Just stick to the movie. <laughs> That you don't even remember. Yeah, that I don't even Uh, remember. (laughs) I I, I don't know. I I don't even think I need to see the movie again. But Kari, how about you? I'm looking at my bookshelf. Um, I don't know why I would want to read a story this Listen, when I was done with this book, listen, I got to be honest. Emily going to catch these jokes, but I thoroughly enjoyed reading this book. (laughs) I'm so embarrassed to say it. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be embarrassed. Mm-mm. I don't think these Bronte girls it. are great storytellers. I don't think the Bronte's are great storytellers. They're, it's I, I'm fine with gothicness. The darkness is okay for me, but there's no one to root for in the story. Everyone's terrible. <laughs> Everyone. Also, I'm way over the kissing cousins. What was going on in England at this time? <laughs> this explains the teeth. Anyway. I just uh, I don't I don't know what to say, except after all of that nonsense in my deep dive, I thoroughly enjoyed this book. I think I would read it again. I don't know. It's like eating something nasty, but later thinking, well, it left a great aftertaste. I don't know. No, it's like the first time you try wine. And you like suffer through the dryness of it. Or the second the, time, the fifth time, the hundredth time. <laughs> Just so you can sit in good. company and act like you know stuff. And then eventually you start liking it. I don't know. Oh, that's the I same thing people know. say about beer. Yeah, okay. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. So this is like a beer of a book. I don't know, you guys. I can't explain it. I don't know. Everyone's terrible. Everyone dies. It's dark from beginning to end. It is. And I thoroughly it enjoyed is. it. But listen, listen. <laughs> on that audio yeah. recording, I'm telling you, hilarious. <laughs> so what was funny to you? What comedy did you accidentally find in this dark book? <laughs> comedy. <laughs> I, it was the dark stuff. 
You was laughing like, at the dark stuff? Like what? I was laughing at the dark stuff. Because it was there just too over the top. The mistreatment. I was just, I was just <laughs> shocked by it all. Wow. It was at the child like, abuse. You was cracking up at the child abuse. I it hate was to see lot. you laughing at this book when on the other side away, of the train. When um the when Catherine got bit by the dog and left at the house and then they, yeah. he went back to the house and then he was mistreated. It was just, yeah. it's like, why are these things happening? It was just yeah. one thing after another in the book. It's so many things. And then he literally kidnapped these people and said, I'm going to keep you here. And then that listen was a about little Linton. over the Linton. edge for me. That was a little over the edge for me, that darkness. And then like he locked Linton. him in a room. So I didn't think of it. And unfortunately, <sighs> it was that bad that I didn't see it Shit. all as sad. Yeah, you just cracking up like <laughs> he locked him in a room and told him they can't come out till they married. <laughs> what? <laughs> and then and then um, when Linton was would call for her and come back in his old whiny way. Linton. Is that what's his, wait, was that his name? Yeah, yeah, Linton. Linton. He clips he had So his name, yeah, yeah. He exactly. would be like, oh, I'm in pain. I'm dying. Come, come, <laughs> come. Yep. And they would come and take care of him. But he would be lying. But also he's sick too. <laughs> but he is sick. <laughs> yeah. Well, just because you're sick doesn't mean you can't abuse your sick privilege. He Y'all know some, some madly folks got sick privilege. his sick privileges. <laughs> I mean, just in the worst way possible. He wrote yeah. a letter, uh, probably encouraged by his dad, but I'm dying because you won't come and see me. You're not really dying. Please, Heathcliff and then Nelly would come in and Nelly was mm-hmm. funny. And poor Nelly doesn't have a life. None of the servants really have lives. I feel sorry for their existence. It was so unpurposed. They truly existed just to serve this family. And what work did the family do? I mean, w- what did the family provide to the community? It's some work in the field, whatever the field work was. Remember, they'd send them out here to work like one of the servants. No, what did the family produce for the community? You know what I mean? This is a proper family with their own home, their own maybe even title. I don't know. What did they provide to the rest of the community? Right. We didn't learn that, but we knew that people were working in the field. Yeah, but those were their servants, right? Yeah. Oh, so maybe they were selling something yeah. that the servants, I don't know, labored or they toiled. They did say to something about the crop harvest being bad okay. or something that okay. was in there. Okay. Anyway, well, yeah, we appreciate girl. you um, giving that hey. deep dive. It was quite interesting. I know it don't make sense, but I highly recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> this is good trash. Don't you want some trash? Have some trash. <laughs> so exactly. I don't. I don't. I don't. Know. I liked it. I liked it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I don't think I'll ever read Jane Eyre unless you make me. Well, see, the that sisters, I want to read. Ah, we might you get started that, with that. I need to know the real story, <laughs> the real tea behind that one. Okay. <laughs> anyway, what are we reading next week, Kari? The Diary of a Young Girl. Some of y'all don't think that book exists. Some of y'all call it The Diary of Anne Frank, Ooh. like I did. But it's called The Diary of a Young Girl by Anne Frank. That's right. That's what it's called. Surprise. <laughs> well, thank you for listening to Lit Society. We look thank forward you. to meeting up with you next week, Thursday. Lit Society mm-hmm. is brought to you by Alexis Anaria and Kari Herrera. 
Support the cause by leaving a five-star review for our show on Apple Podcasts, okay? Along with a comment about why you absolutely love us, because we love y'all, too. We love y'all, too. If you've enjoyed what you just heard, tell a friend about Lit Society. Visit LitSocietyPod.com for show notes, this month's book list, and to sign up for our amazing email newsletter. Okay, and until do it, next do it. time, y'all, read, read something. something. <laughs> I love your DJ voice. <laughs>